I want to welcome you back to our uh, sermon series starting point. What we're doing in this sermon series is we're talking about how the gospel has to be ground zero for us. It has to be the foundation that we are building our life on because it is what is going to enable us to press into what matters most. Living a life on purpose, which is loving God and loving other people as we love ourselves. So, we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13, in order to grab a hold of this big idea. The big idea is this, only in Christ do we find an unshakable identity. Only in Christ do we find an unshakable identity. Let me read to you our passage, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and when you read the word, Word, it's Jesus. So we could say in the beginning was Jesus, right? Alright, so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Uh, All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All right, so let's unpack this big idea. Only in Christ do we find an unshakable identity, starting with this first point. Everyone searches to discover their identity. So from the time you're young, you're trying to figure out who you are, who you are, what what you're about, what are your values, what are your strengths and weaknesses, what is your personality, um, what worth do you have as a person, uh, how valuable you are. These are all questions around identity. And this is from the time we're young, we are trying to figure out What is our identity? Now your identity is comprised of two parts. The first part is your view of yourself. The second part is how you feel about your view of yourself. So your identity is comprised of your self-image and your self-worth, right? Now, you can have a clear you can have a clear identity and an accurate identity, identity, or it can be inaccurate and unclear. The more I work with people, the more I discover that most people really struggle to know who they are. They really struggle to know what their worth is. Um, and so, identity confusion is really, really prevalent in our world. And the reason why it's so prevalent is because people are looking to the wrong sources to define themselves, to figure out who they really are. For example, 
some people, they live in a traditional society, a traditional culture. And in that culture, what really matters is family. And so people tend to view themselves and assess their worth based on, well, I am a husband or I am a father or I'm a brother or sister or son or daughter. And how I'm performing at that role is how I determine my self-worth. In really traditional societies that still exist in some parts of our world, if your dad's a farmer, guess what? You're a farmer. If your dad is a carpenter, you're going to be that as well. Now, this can be really restricting and suffocating because what if you're not gifted, gifted to be a farmer? What if you're not gifted to you know, be a woodworker? What if you're not a good fit for the person that they tell you to marry? Right? So that can be a real issue, it can be suffocating. Now, if you live in a big western city like New York or Seattle or you know, somewhere in the western world, a big city, it's going to be progressive and it's going to have the belief that, and it's going to communicate to you that you decide your identity. Your family doesn't have a right to tell you who you are. You need to decide who you are. You create your own identity. Nobody has the right to tell you what you should be, right? Um, this is crushing too. Why? Because there are so many options. There are so many options to build an identity on. And what, our, what the progressive culture will tell you is look inside of yourself. But when you look inside of yourself, you get more confused. Why? Because you have all these conflicting desires, impulses, thoughts. And so which one do you decide to build your identity on? It's crushing. Now, um, what about little old Maslin, Ohio? I would say that we are neither in a traditional culture anymore, nor a super progressive culture. We're somewhere in the middle which can be even more confusing. Because on one side of you know, your ear, or in one ear, you have you know, coaches and teachers and the traditional family unit and structures of society telling you to be this way. And then you have progressive culture that we get from media telling you, no, you decide what you want to be. You decide your identity. This is crazy. Um, and this is why there's so much confusion. Um, in terms of the progressive view of things, I want to quote Frozen's Let It Go, because it sums up and encapsulates this modern view so well. Again, here in Maslin, I think we're a mix of the two. We're headed towards the progressive nature of things. We're not totally out of the traditional. We're somewhere in between. But listen to the lyrics of this song. And you'll be singing it all day long now since it's been mentioned to you. It's going to be stuck in your head. The wind is howling like this swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I've tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. What? Uh, I don't know if it's Elsa or Anna. Sorry. Elsa. Okay, Elsa. <laughs> Elsa. What she's saying is, look, I'm going to reject this traditional culture. They're telling me to be this way, and I have to be this good girl. I have to conceal who I really am. Don't feel, don't let them know. Well, now they know, 
And now she's saying, let it go, let it go, can't hold it back anymore, let it go, let it go, turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. I don't care what the traditional structures and my family's going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. And then Elsa says, it's funny how some distance makes everything seem small. And the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. Check this out. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. I'm rejecting the traditional thing. I'm adopting the modern way of viewing identity. I'm going to decide what I'm going to be. Now, if you walk down the halls of any high school, what will you find? You are going to find a bunch of students that are in a complete identity crisis. That's what you'll find. You'll find some students that one day they're straight, next day they're gay or bi. One day they're a boy, one day they're a girl, right? One day um, they're the FCA model student, the next day they're the, you know, partier. One day they're the overachiever, and the next day they are the cool, laid-back slacker. And so what you have are students that are in complete identity, uh, uh, crisis of identity. I'd like to say that we as adults, we reach a certain age and we get everything figured out and the identity crisis goes away, but I have found that is absolutely untrue and actually what I see happening a lot is that for adults, their true identity gets more and more buried under trauma that they've experienced as life has gone on, disappointments, failures. They feel the need that I have to be this for my family and I got to be this for my employer. I find that often adults are just as confused as anybody else about who they really are. The term midlife crisis, it's a term because it's a thing. This is how the dictionary defines midlife crisis. Check this out. It is an emotional crisis of identity right there in self-confidence. So it's a crisis of identity and self-confidence that usually occurs between the ages of 45 to 65, right? Now, why is all this identity talk so important? This leads us to point number two, and it's this. Our identity drives our behavior. That's why this is so important. How you view yourself and how you um, evaluate your self-worth and what you think that is, is going to drive how you live, how you behave. Look, if you were sexually abused growing up, you could have this identity that I am abused goods and therefore I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough for somebody to actually love me and treat me well. And if a person has that view of themselves and if they have that self-image, they're going to allow themselves to be in relationships that are so unhealthy, they're going to be used and abused further. If you were repeatedly told that you're, you were stupid growing up, guess what? That's going to influence how you think and behave. And chances are you're going to probably walk with a chip on your shoulder trying to prove yourself all the time. And you're not going to be able to receive any kind of criticism. Or you'll become a wallflower and you'll never assert yourself. And you'll never have an opinion because you're afraid that you're going to be discovered that you're stupid. Our identity drives our behavior. I could keep going with examples. If you think you're God's gift to women, that will drive your behavior. If that's your identity, 
you will live and act in certain ways based out of that identity. If you think you're the hardest worker you know and you and your identity is that I am a worker, that will drive you in a certain way. So the question becomes, where can we get an accurate view, a clear view of who we really are? Where can we find that? Who has the right to define us? Who has the right to define our identity? That leads us to point three. Only God has the right to define your identity. Now, why does God only have the right to define your identity? Why can't you define your own identity? Here's the reason why. God is your creator and owner. That's why. You don't own yourself. You don't. God owns you. And as your owner, as your creator, as your maker, he's the one that can define who you are. This is the source where we go to get a clear understanding of our identity. Psalm 24 one says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. You are owned by God. Now, this is a silly example, but it was what my brain came up with. So, um, it's silly to think that we can give ourselves a, 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 our own identity. It's like a shark. No, it's like a, what did I say in the last service? It's like a monkey, that's right, that says, you know what? I'm going to be a shark. I'm not going to be a monkey anymore. I'm going to be a shark. I'm going to do shark things. I'm going to think like a shark. I'm going to behave like I'm a, I'm a shark. Now, is that monkey any less than a monkey? When it's acting as a shark? No. It's real identity is it's a monkey. No matter how much it acts like a shark, it's still a monkey. A confused monkey, but it's still a monkey. Right? Now, um, what will happen to that monkey? Well, if it lives out of alignment with its true identity and acts like a shark, it'll make its home in the deep blue sea, and that monkey will end up dead. It'll, it'll end up be it'll be destroyed, right? So that's what we have people doing. We have people who are created to be one thing, given an identity by God, but saying, no, I'm really this over here, which is leading to disastrous results. So did your family create you? No. Does your, did, you, did your culture create you? Does your culture own you? No. So why be defined by them? Be defined by God, your real creator and owner. All right, so this leads us to point four. Christ offers us an unshakable identity. So we go to God to determine what our real identity is. Well, what does he say about us? Check this out. You've got to go back to the beginning. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. As a human being, this is your identity right here. This is your God-given identity. Every single person in this room, you are an image bearer of the God of the universe. You were made to reflect his glory, reflect his attributes. You were made to represent his authority in the world. That's what you're... So you are not only a God reflector, you're a ruler. That's your identity. You are a ruler. God reflecting ruler. This 
Can you top this identity? Why do we reject this identity in search of another identity when God is saying, look, you are my reflectors and you are ruling on my behalf over the world? What an identity. Psalm 8, 3-9 celebrates this identity. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the work of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim, the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, the question becomes, how exactly does God want us to rule? If we rule on his behalf, how does he want us to do it? Genesis 1.28 gives us the answer. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. You are to rule, your identity is you are to rule by multiplying image bearers of God that fill the earth and you are to subdue creation for human flourishing. What you're supposed to do as God's ruler. That's your, that's your job description. How do we subdue the creation? What does that mean? What does is, what is the Hebrew mean when it's saying subdue? It means what you're doing as you rule by subduing is you're taking the raw material of the earth and you're utilizing it and leveraging it for the benefit of creation, the non-human creation and the human creation alike. That's what it means. So if you're a farmer, what are you doing? You are taking the raw material of the earth and you're working with it in such a way, you're subduing it in such a way that it benefits people. If you're an educator, which we have educators in this room, what are you doing? You are taking the bank of information and knowledge and you're packaging that in a way that students can understand it and learn and make sense of God's world. If you are a woodworker, you are taking the raw materials of the earth, you're subduing it, creating furniture and th things out of, that, out of it that benefit you know, humans. That, that's what it means to subdue creation. Now it's crazy that every single one of us has rejected this God-given identity. We have this great identity and yet we have rejected it. We have tried to find an identity apart from God. <laughs> The Danish philosopher uh, Soren Kierkegaard defines sin this way, or he did define it this way, it's no longer living, as building your identity on anything but God. That's what sin is, building your identity on anything but God. And often what we're doing, we're building an identity on what people tell us we should build our identity on, or what the culture is telling us we should build an identity on. We talk about this a lot here at the church. You build your identity on pleasing people. That is, such an, that is such an unstable identity. When you feel like you're pleasing people, you're going to be high. But when people are upset with you or you get criticism from people, you're going to be low. You're going to be, it's going to destroy you. Build an identity on 
Your appearance. Well, when people are complimenting the way you look and when the six pack's just right and the hair's laying just right and, you know, the clothes are accentuating your curves just right and you feel, you're going to feel good. But when illness comes, right, when injury comes, when age comes and you no longer appear the way you would like to, then you're destroyed if your identity is built on appearance. Build your uh, identity on achievement, you're going to feel great so long as you're winning, so long as the sales numbers are up, so long as the company's doing well, so long as you're winning. But when you start losing, you're going to be destroyed. Your identity can't handle loss. I was listening to an interview by Odell Beckham Jr. on you know, good old sports talk, Cleveland 850. And uh, he was talking about, for those of you who don't know who he is, he's a world, uh, wide receiver for the Browns, and he has had one injury after another. And he was saying how difficult this has been on him mentally, and use the word spiritually. And he said, I had, when I started out my career, he was, he's ultra gifted, I mean, just a freak athlete. He was going to you know, beat Jerry Rice's records, right? But now he's had one injury after another. That's no longer realistic for him. And it affected him at the spiritual level. Why? Because he was basing his identity on his achievement as a wide receiver. And so he's had to go through this whole reconstruction process spiritually, he said, mentally. Now here's my concern for Odell. And I pray that this doesn't happen to them. What ends up happening to a lot of people is once they find that one identity that they try to bring on themselves is unstable, what they end up doing is going to try and build their identity on another thing that's just as unstable. And so I hope that doesn't happen for him. I hope Odell finds the unshakable identity that can be found in Christ. Jesus is critical here. And, and I want to talk about, and, and I'll finish up this way, that Jesus gives us an unshakable identity, and he makes that identity possible because he makes God's adoption of us possible. This is so, so critical. Last year, Mary, she had a student that came into her kindergarten classroom. Mary's my wife, if you don't know that. Um, she had a student come in last year that had experienced a bunch of trauma, was living in you know, a foster home, and uh, came in with a lot of you know, negative behaviors, as you can imagine. It was really difficult at the beginning of the year. But through the love of this foster family, through the love of Mary as, as this boy's teacher, by the end of the year, this boy was doing extremely, extremely well. I think it was the week before school started this, this year that we're in, Mary got the phone call that this boy was going to be moved out of his foster home because that foster family could no longer foster him. And Mary was just crushed because it's like, man, she had grown to love this boy. I think this boy would tell her, tell her after, at the end of every day, I love you, you know, Mrs. Cockrell. And so there was just this relationship that was formed. And then it's like, what's going to happen to this little guy? What is going to happen to him? What kind of home will he go into? What will that home be like? And, and so it's just your concern. We, and he's not going to be at this building where he's found stability. He's not going to be with this family that has loved him well. And it was just really difficult. 
Um, not too long after that, Mary, a week later, I think it was, she came to me all excited and said, God, you know, saying, God has done a miracle. Turns out that this boy, um, we know this because Mary's principal knows the family that this boy got placed into 45 minutes away. This family is a phenomenal family who loves Jesus and is going to be awesome for this boy. So we were just praising God, you know, that he answered prayers in that way. Um, I tell you this because what this boy needs is this new family. He'll get it. A father that's going to love him unconditionally. This boy needs a father that's going to give him plenty of opportunities to grow. This boy needs um, uh, resources so he has clothes and food and the things he needs to develop. This boy will have, you know, and, and, and so he's going to have all that. And if this family, I'm praying, if this family adopts him, they, this boy will have a new name. Surely he'll get an inheritance from this father. He'll be taken care of um, until he moves out and then will continue to be loved by this father. I say all this because don't you see that this is what God does for us in Christ? You were in the trauma of sin. You were living and building your identity on things that were unstable, that were ultimately going to destroy you. And God, out of his grace, he reaches in and he says, you are now mine. You are now my son. You are now my daughter. I am now your father. I have given you a new name. I will make sure that all your resources, that you have all the resources you need to grow and thrive. You're going to have my provision. You're going to have my protection. You're going to have my unconditional love. I will never leave nor forsake you. You're going to have an amazing inheritance, new heavens, new earth. This is your new identity as an adopted son or daughter of mine. This is the identity that God offers to us through Christ. This is a sturdy, unshakable identity. Why? This is why. If your identity is in who you are as a son of the king or a daughter of the king, there's nothing in this world that can destroy that. No loss can destroy that. Winning can't destroy that. Losing can't destroy that. Uh, if your body fades away, that's not going to be destroyed. That's why people who went through the Nazi concentration camps were able to even do it with joy because their identity was in a place that wasn't susceptible to changing circumstances. It's remarkable. And so, let me recap. Everyone searches to discover their identity. Our identity drives our behavior. Only God has a right to define your identity. Christ offers us an unshakable identity. Because what happens is we go from not just being an image bearer and a ruler, because then with our sin we became, we were that, but we also became woefully and tragically fallen and broken. 
But as we are adopted into God's family, though that woefully tragic and fallen parts of us, that gets dealt with. Jesus lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death that you are meant to die for that sin. He deals with it. He pays for it so that you can be forgiven, reconciled to God, brought into the family of God. That woefully and tragic fallen part of you becomes buried, dead in Christ. And you become a new creation, a new identity. And so I, I want to ask you this. Have you received the unshakable identity that Christ offers? Have you received it? How do you receive it? Did you catch at the end of our passage what John said? To those who received it, to those who believed in his name, You become adopted in God's family when you believe that this adoption is available and when you receive it in faith. Jesus, I want to be adopted. I realize you died for me and I receive that. Bring me into your family. Give me a new identity, right? Let me uh, ask you another question here. For those of you who have already been adopted into God's family by, you know, through Christ, through belief and in, in, in faith in Him, are you living as a son or a daughter of the King, or do your thoughts and actions more resemble an orphan whose identity is unstable? This is, this is huge, because here's what I found that we can become adopted into the family, given a new identity. We can believe that, but for all practical purposes, we don't live like that. We live like we aren't a child of the king. We live and make decisions as an orphan. And so, how are you doing with that? This week, I, I encourage you that no matter what comes your way, you're responding, if you are a child of God, you're responding like a child of God should. No matter what your feelings and desires tell you, because feelings and desires, they're great servants, but they're horrible masters. We don't want to get rid of feelings and desires. That's part of how God has made us, and feelings and desires can give us useful information. But if they drive how we behave and how we respond, then we get into trouble. Your identity as a child of the king needs to drive how you behave and how you respond. That's my challenge to you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you offer us uh, an unshakable identity. That you, because you are willing to give up your glorious identity, that you didn't hold on to that, that you didn't just grasp to it with a death grip, but you were willing to uh, let go of that and become a servant and then a slave and then be treated like the worst of criminals because you're willing to, 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 to give up that identity, you are able to give us a new identity. Because you were rejected and allowed yourself to be kicked out of the family, we could be brought in. Lord, thank you that this offer is to us. I pray that if there's a person here that hasn't received it, in belief and faith that today would be the day that they would do that and I pray for us that have received adoption and that that we would live out of it that we would live in alignment to it so that we would have an unshakable life 
that comes from really being rooted in our unshakable identity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.